This is AgriPulse Open Mic, brought to you by Robbo AgriFinance. Robbo AgriFinance is a leading provider of financial services for agricultural producers and agribusinesses in the United States, adding value with industry expertise, client-focused solutions, and long-term business relationships. The Robbo AgriFinance nationwide network of relationship managers, insurance and risk management specialists offer a comprehensive suite of services, including loans, crop insurance, and sophisticated risk management products such as interest rate and commodity swaps. Robo AgriFinance is a division of Robobank, a premier bank in the global agriculture industry and one of the world's highest rated privately held banks. For more information, contact Robo AgriFinance at 888-722-7766 or visit us online at RoboAg. Representative Fudge, thank you very much. Welcome to AgriPulse Open Mic. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Let me ask you about your view of the House Agriculture Committee. You are uh, from an urban district in Ohio, and you sit on that committee. Do you feel like that it is a place that you can have a positive input and impact on this farm bill? Absolutely. You know, people do think it's a little odd that I'm from Cleveland and I sit on the committee, but let me just suggest to you that I am excited about the opportunity to give a different view uh, from uh, what they, under normal circumstances, would get. The, the committee has uh, historically been very um, farm-based, and I think that when you look at agriculture, it encompasses so many more things. So I'm just happy to be a part of broadening this perspective and the discussion about what kinds of things we can do during, with the Farm Bill. The Farm Bill, as the House Agriculture Committee passed it, apparently wasn't what you wanted, as it shows that you voted against that. Could you tell me what it was about the bill that made you vote no? Uh, I voted against it, and I spoke against it as well. Uh, one of the major issues for me, clearly, was a $16 billion cut to SNAP. Uh, as well as the change in the eligibility requirements to qualify for SNAP. And there were some other things as well, uh, certainly as it relates to um, 1890 institutions and other things. But in particular, my biggest concern was that you cannot, in this economy, uh, cut $16 billion from SNAP. So that was my biggest issue with the bill. You had some allies in that there were some Republicans who felt like there weren't nearly enough cuts to SNAP uh, to the point that Congressman Hulskamp was uh, kicked off the committee for this coming term. I wonder what that shows of extremes on both sides and uh, both of you uh, not wanting to let a bill like this go through. Well, uh, let me just first say that I don't believe that the congressman was, was removed from the committee because he voted against the farm bill. I think that was a wholly different situation with a different message. Uh, but more importantly, you're right. But there is, has been a lot of discussion that, um, that the SNAP pieces or the nutrition pieces need to be separated from the farm bill and looked at differently. But because it is not that way right now, uh, the only way that we can address the situation is to vote against it. Yes, there are people that think that uh, it wasn't enough cuts, but let me just suggest to you this. The Senate only cut four and a half billion dollars out of their uh, in their bill for SNAP. We turn around and do sixteen billion. When you look at the fact 
that almost 8% of the U.S. population is unemployed uh, and that the current poverty rate is the second, that it, the second highest has been in 45 years. You can't talk about not feeding hungry children and hungry families. And when you look at the, the effects of SNAP, about 75% of all SNAP recipients are families with young children, and the other 25% are seniors or people with disabilities. So what is it that we are to do? Are we to say that as a nation we are going to refuse to feed hungry people? Are we to say as a nation that we are not concerned about the nutrition of our children? Um, I don't think that people understand the consequences of making those kinds of decisions unless they live in environments like mine. The number of people who are qualified for portions of the uh, food and nutrition program now has gone up very sharply in the last four years. Do you uh, credit that to a worsening economy or to more liberal policies under the Obama administration? Well, absolutely. It is the, the direct result of a worsening economy. I mean, clearly, I mean, no one. I, do you think that, that I would want for people to be on food stamps? I would hope that people wouldn't be, because that would say to me that the economy was growing, that people are working, people are more comfortable. We want to get to a point where the allocations for food stamps are reduced significantly. But this is not the time at which to do it. You have been uh, critical of uh, the obesity of young people and have uh, dedicated yourself to try to overcome that in one generation. Uh, it, it seems almost a contradiction that we have obesity because of people being short of money and the strangeness of that in our society that hunger and obesity are not simple problems to fix. You are correct. And, and I have to as well have this same discussion with my colleagues because they would make the same argument to me. But if they look at the many of the issues that surround obesity, and I will just, just count some of them off for you, most poor people live in environments where they can't even access healthy food. If you have a grocery store that is two miles from you, and you have no access to either public, public transportation or an automobile, what you do is you go to these what we call corner stores or you go to places where the food is not healthy, or more, more importantly what you do is you go to fast food restaurants where the nutrition value is nil and the calorie count and the fat count are way up. That's one of the issues, which is what we call food deserts, if you live in some of these environments. And it happens not just in cities, it happens in rural communities as well. When you look at the fact that most poor children, and many rural children as well, urban and rural, get 90% of their nutrition from schools. So if their school meals are not nutritious, then they are not going to be healthy. You also look at the fact as we cut back on education funding, one of the very first things they cut back on is physical education. So you don't have young people who are be, being physically fit because they are not getting exercise. In environments like mine, there are children who don't even walk to school for fear of their own lives. So how do you say that the two are not connected? I, I further want to say that obesity is an epidemic in this country. We have as almost 17% of the young population of this country today who are not physically or will not ever be physically fit to serve in the military not because of necessarily just poverty, but it is what they eat, it is what we focus on in schools, and it is their lack of physical exercise. Let me turn to uh, the school lunch program, which kind of parallels what you're saying. 
There's a lot of pushback that the new dietary guidelines of the school lunch program are not what the students want. But do you believe that that program has to enforce these guidelines if we're going to accomplish the other purposes you've defined? I do. Now, let me just say this. Now, there are some things about the nutrition guidelines that I don't like myself. And I know young people are not going to like it. Because when you think about the fact that most young people, especially in urban areas, it is unusual for them to have a salad for lunch. Um, But there are some other things that we have to think about and, and take into consideration some of the cultural differences that we experience. But I would say that farmers in particular need to be as supportive of these programs as possible. Because here, even in an urban area like mine, We participate in Know Your Farm and Know Your Food. We participate in local food banks. We participate in a lot of things that help farmers as well as help children. So we need to find a way to get fresh fruits and vegetables into our schools and into our food banks. And so, yeah, I do support the guidelines. Uh, They're not perfect, and we do probably need to make some adjustments as we go forward, but they're a good start. What do you think of uh, expanding our number of urban farmers so that you have fresh food grown locally that also creates income in the local area? I'm glad you asked that question because I've actually been working with uh, on the committee as well as others to talk about doing things like providing uh, microloans to urban farmers and to inner-city youth. I've talked with them about how we work with some of these lending and credit institutions to make urban far- farming um, more uh, readily available to those who want to be involved through, through the loan process. Uh, as well as just if you, if you look at where we are as a community, and I've been very, very active with USDA over the last few years, we now have a program with USDA where we have uh, an agreement with them to put up 22 high-tunnel homes in our community so that people can grow those locally. We also have been fighting for TFAP funding, such that we can make sure that our food banks get uh, food that is grown closer to home and available to people when they need it. So I, I think that it's a very strong argument to make that we want to have more urban farmers because the closer and fresher that food is, the better it is for our young people. Representative Fudge, let me finish up with going back to the Farm Bill and asking you how that you think we should position this to where that a Uh, legislation can go into effect to keep us from having all the problems that would exist if we had to go back to the permanent legislation and yet make it palatable to you and to others to get a majority vote. I do not necessarily believe that I would vote against a bill that had some reasonable cuts to SNAP. I think all of us are going to have to bite the bullet in some way. $16 is just way out of the park. I think that there are some other things in the bill we can look at. And, and, and I, I don't want to pit uh, urban and rural against each other, but if you look at something as simple as uh, the, the, the crop safety net, okay, you look at last year what we did was we only gave that insurance to 26 people across this country at more than a million dollars apiece. So if we're not using it, then maybe that's a way to find some resources. If you look at the fact that most of when the farm bill historically was to really aid and assist small farmers, Today, most of those farmers are gone. What we have is mega corporations who are making more money than they have ever made. So I understand that they need a safety net, but so do people who are poor and hungry need a safety net. So I think we have to look at more than just food stamps. We need to look at some things that 
might make some sense. I understand that we've done away or going to do away with direct payments to farmers. I think that's great. That's a big savings. Uh, I understand that there's some things we need to do in conservation. We can save some resources there. But I also believe that we cannot and should not allow the people who are doing so well today to be off the hook and people who are doing so poorly to bear the brunt of it. Congresswoman Fudge, thank you very much for being our guest on AgriPulse Open Mic. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. AgriPulse Open Mic has been brought to you by Robbo AgriFinance. Visit us online at RoboAg.com. I'm Ken Root.